welcome to another episode of Ideaprov. I'm here with your host, Mike Pedersen. Um, I'm here with a, with a friend that we kind of connected over some mutual interests, you know, one being whiskey and some other things online. Um, and his name is Adam. So I want to kind of introduce him and bring him on the show because I could already tell he has a very kind of interesting mind about the way that he thinks about certain things. So Adam, how are you doing? Tell us everybody, you know, how you are today and um, what's going on. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm honored to be here, and uh, I think this is a a great opportunity to make a new friendship and uh, being able to share some thoughts and have some fun at the same time, so thank you. Um, I'll share a little bit about myself. Um, As you mentioned, my name is Adam Shu. I'm a... uh, I kind of describe myself a little bit as a uh, systems observer, thinker, influencer. Um, I teach and coach um, a lot of teams and organizations to um, better understand their systems of work and how they can improve it through small incremental adjustments. Uh, Some people call it flow. um, So that's a a way to think about it. Um, I use these opportunities to kind of help um, broaden my my viewpoints and observations about the world. And uh, more recently, a lot of that has kind of made me think about the lens I look at the world, uh, how people behave, and uh, it, all, it all derives from the context that they're in. And uh, I think there might be an opportunity even for a podcast one day. So that's something I, I might, you, you've inspired me, Mike, by having your podcast. I might actually launch my own uh, focused on uh, you know, systems and people and how they behave and uh, people's tendencies to, I know this term is not the best one game, it's it's a natural behavior of, of human beings and that, that's, uh, that's always intrigued me about how how human beings tend to try to optimize for their the best situation they can so maybe that could be a like i said a podcast or a blog or a book one day but that's that's what my passion is and i'm i'm very glad to be here to kind of share that with you uh one other thing mike i do want to mention before we begin is um uh, all the things that we're going to be talking about the thoughts and ideas and my opinions especially i want to share that uh these are solely my opinion it doesn't reflect on any of my colleagues or uh, associates or, or even my employer uh, these are just my thoughts so i i wholly own these these thoughts and opinions so just wanted to say that yeah wonderful um i think it might be on to something with that podcast because i think people don't really realize how frequently or how often um, they do try and kind of game the system, right? They, either they try and get away with free stuff or, or um, try and take advantage maybe to save time or, or money or, or something like that, or just you know, mental space. Um, and we kind of create these shortcuts all the time to be able to, to do it. And we just take them for granted and don't, don't really think about it. But if enough people kind of do it, it can really affect things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes really good, sometimes not so good. But yeah, and uh, knowing that it, it's it's just like uh, a lot of the movies we watch, they talk about like uh, with any with any amount of great power comes responsibility, right? So um, being able to look at um, 
the purpose behind why why people tend to game systems it can go either way so um but i think being aware of it is is an important thing for everybody to be aware of uh, sometimes you get so close into the details or you're so into your context um, you don't realize that that gaming is going on so yeah you know kind of wrapping your head around a lot of these things can be a little bit challenging but you know once you kind of get those tools in place and you know of course kanban boards and stuff like that and i know that you you know we were talking offline about um some of those things so you know kind of school us on on your thought process and, and what you got going on with the kanban boards because i know i use them personally but i think you're light years ahead of me uh no <laughs> So thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I teach Kanban uh, primarily, and um, I run classes, and I uh, teach publicly. So um, actually, you can uh, check out a lot about me and uh, what I do by going to my uh, my site. Uh, it's kanbanese.com, and um, I offer classes and training, and uh, I actually even... Uh, offer Kanban boards, personal Kanban boards. So a lot of people ask, you know, how do, how do I begin for me individually? How do I begin, you know, leveraging some of these concepts? I say, all right, maybe start with a personal Kanban board. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a behavioral change. It's uh, getting you to actually visualize what you, what you feel are important and what you want to do. So it's, it's kind of a very simple tool. Uh, anybody can get started with it. So if you go to the, the website I shared with you earlier, um, on there, it's called the My Board. You can buy it out. It's on Amazon, right? So right now I'm running a sale. I think it's like $6.99. It's laminated. And the reason I created it is um, there are a lot of actually, there's a lot of tools, apps that you can download right onto your cell phone actually um, manage your individual flow and trying to you know just trying to get things done but the problem with the electronic because I've tried it um, you actually first have to log in open it and actually go to to the board which is several steps so um, I'm a big believer in if it's important make it simple so that's why I created a physical laminated combo board that uh, I use it every day. And I, the first thing I do every morning when I sit down at work is open it and you can't shut it off like a phone, right? So once out of sight, out of mind, you don't see it. <laughs> it's not, you don't have to be accountable. But if it's sitting right there in front of your face and you see those sticky notes that says, hey, I need to you know, pay this bill. I need to go write this, you know, speech or whatever. Um, you can't escape it, right? So very simple to use. Check it out. It's, um, I've, you know, most people I've um, had use it uh, always come back and said, you know what, I, I tried at first and it got frustrating and so I stopped and then I picked it back up again and I'm, I'm surprised by how much I actually get done now. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll say this is if you first get started and uh, you struggle or things don't happen, uh, don't give up. Uh, try it again. And then you might actually find that uh, you'll, get, uh, you'll get some insights about the things that matter to you the most. And, yeah, uh, and so for those that might not be, um, I guess, familiar with, with the Kanban board, so make sure I have this right. It's it's pretty much like a like a physical tool that you can you know put sticky notes on and kind of be able to track your progress across you know things that you want to do things that you're working on things that you've done and things that are completed yeah. right those are the four kind of buckets um yep. 
Am I missing anything in that? No, no, that, that's it. And uh, the, the power in, in the, the use of the Kanban board is to visualize, right? Because um, we tend to hold a lot of things in our head. And uh, that creates a lot of stress. That's a lot of things to just kind of, it's like, okay, I need to pay the bill. I need to call my sister. I need to go make this reservation. So you get overstressed. Rather, hey, let's just dump it all onto a somewhere so I can see it all the time. And then I can make better decisions about what's the next thing that I need to focus on. One, we have a tendency to overload ourselves as human beings. We, we think we're really good multitaskers, but we're actually not. So having a, a visual board to see how many things we're actually working on and then make a judgment about, all right, <laughs> I, I can't do all three of these things. I have to focus on one, right? So this goes back to our earlier conversation about focusing on one thing to improve whatever we're trying to do. That's what the concept of, uh, of Kanban is, right? Just being able to, to, to limit the amount of noise so we can actually do something great and then do the next great thing so that we can actually get things done. And there's no better feeling, and I know you know this, Mike, whenever you can move a sticky note into that done column, there is a chemical reaction that happens in your body, right? So if you know about the, the good chemicals that happen to you, um, yeah, that, that's that's your, your brain telling you you've accomplished something, you've achieved it, and it's a it's a fantastic feeling. Just say done. Yeah, that, that dopamine receptors like yeah. to kick in and the only better feeling than that is probably one of those times where you can move multiple. In, in the same amount of time, you know, I have a small one and sometimes I'll just, you know, if if I remember, I'll move two or three notes at a time and it's like, oh yeah, like you've accomplished And there's even, a, I think there's a book or, or an article that I read that believe it or not, uh, some people believe like that is everybody's version of happiness, which which I thought was kind of interesting. Like those moments are the moments that we chase because that's the, the time in which we feel the most validated, the most effective, the most, um, on top of our game kind of deal. Um, uh, just moving that sticky note and saying, hey, this is this is done for that five to 10 seconds. Like we feel good about everything that we've done in our life. Um, and so that's a that's a kind of neat little little tweak. You were um, uh, passionate about this pro uh, this this topic too, about uh, gaming systems. Well, what, what kind of led you to, to kind of be interested in that? For me, it was a lot of uh, reflection on personal experience um, because I've found myself not necessarily always wanting to game, to game the system, but from a young age, I'd say anywhere from seven to nine, um, I was really, for some reason, became hyper-focused on being efficient because I think what, what kind of drove it was you know, my parents would tell me, hey, you gotta make sure you do your homework, that type of stuff. And then, so I thought to myself, if I mapped out the rest of my day in an efficient manner where I saved as much time as possible, that would free up as much time for me to go outside and play with my friends or, or do things inside that I, that I enjoyed to do if it was raining and, and stuff like that. So, um, uh, you know, and my parents were, were very uh, fluid in letting me kind of dictate that as long as I, you know, I kind of got good grades and stuff like that. So, um, 
I would kind of map things out to where, hey, if I did this and I did this as fast as possible, did my chores as fast as possible, you know, and, and tried to figure that out, I could say, hey, by doing so, I can create or carve out another hour or another two hours that I could be outside riding bikes and, you know, playing hide and go seek or whatever it was that, that you know, my friends and I were doing that day. Um, so over time, I think it just really kind of naturally uh, ballooned, I guess you could say. So as I got older, you know, it was less about time with my friends. It was more about, you know, time for myself to be able to do things. And then in college, it was, hey, if I get all my academics done and, um, you know, make sure to tidy up my job and stuff like that, make sure I off those pieces, I would have more time to be able to do whatever. So of course, everything has become this chasing additional time because I realized like that's the only commodity as, you know, I feel as humans that we cannot get more of. We can get more physical things, we can get more money, we can get more this, that, and the, of the other, and we don't know when our time is up. And so I've just kind of made it my personal mission to say, hey, listen, I'm gonna get everything that I can done as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible, so that way I can have more time for the things and the, the stuff that really makes me happy and brings me joy. You know, family, friends, you know, cooking, hobbies, whatever it is. Um, so that's where the gaming system kind of came in for me, it was like, I'm trying to get all the boring stuff out the way so that way I can get to the good stuff. And then trying to see that, because I know I did it, seeing how other people approach that, that topic was also very interesting. Um, so for example, for me, um, my lady is kind of the same way, but she's in a little bit different facet of it in the fact that she just ruthlessly prioritizes her time. So if it doesn't have any interest to her whatsoever, she doesn't she doesn't deal with it and that's her way of like conserving that that time and that energy and so if she's not even remotely close to it or she's not into it even if you know it's like watching a show on tv if it doesn't um hold her interest the whole way through or if it's only like 15 minutes if she loses interest she's stopping that show and she's on to something else it's not yeah. like a hey i'm already invested nope it's i'm done with it you know so yeah. it's it's just kind of neat to see how other people approach the same thing yeah and no, I, I i could definitely relate and uh I, I could tell just from how you described it i i feel like <laughs> you mentioned it earlier when we were speaking uh, on a call i, I think we are kind of kindred spirit, spirits there i've become more aware of uh the same insight you, you just brought up about like time is the only resource you can't get more of and uh yeah so i'm 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 a huge believer in that and uh and and it's a it's the effect of uh it's the human condition and uh, uh you don't realize that until you get older and then it's like okay <laughs> i can't recoup all that time back so um there's definitely some of my friends who are a lot smarter than i was and actually heeded that and uh rather than working so hard to collect more money to buy more things which you're going to end up having to maintain and spend time on they're very smart and they're like they went minimalist so now you see these shows on like netflix like uh what was it uh, that lady uh, uh marie kondo right eliminating the mess because at the end you, you end up uh, with all this stuff and uh you just end up spending time cleaning you know trying to make more space try and buy bigger houses and, and and if you think about it, it's definitely uh, uh, not so good of a use of, of our time rather than 
creating experiences with our friends and family. That's what's important to, to me as well. So I, I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just kind of remarkable to see um, sometimes, you know, uh, minimalism is, is definitely a, an episode that I kind of want to get to in the future. But I, I've read, read a couple of articles in which they talk about when you have less stuff, you have more mental space to be able to do more things. And it took me, it took me a couple of times to kind of digest that and to realize, yeah, I don't need all these little side projects to say that one of these days I'm gonna do it. You know, it's just like, let that stuff go. You might not ever get to it, but you have plenty of more space of time to, to share and do things that you really care about because you know it, everything is fluid like your passions now aren't going to be might not be your passions five years from now yeah. so um don't create your world based around these materialistic stuff so yeah it's funny how quickly that just led to kind of the, the heart of what i do right? um, a good part of what i do in helping individuals teams and organizations is realize that that very key fact that you just mentioned which is the more things you take on uh, the more busy you make yourself the less time you have focus uh, to be able to do the things that really matter either for yourself or for people that you're accountable to and when you lose that focus the quality of you know what you're doing the enjoyment of what you're doing it just it's a trade-off right so sure we can busy ourselves every day with you know trying to try to make more money or, you know, try to outcompete, you know, that, that other person, but there's, there's a cost to it. And, uh, one, it definitely raises our stress levels. So, uh, being able to focus and, uh, what we call, uh, minimizing the, the work in progress, right? So just leaning out your life. That's a, that's a key concept that I, I wish I would have learned a lot earlier in life. And uh, so right now that I've learned it, I'm trying to do my best to teach it to my kids. <laughs> I try to teach it to my, my spouse, um, uh, friends. I, I'm almost like spreading the good news about like, hey, let's just focus on what matters because it's uh, we only have so much time. Yeah, yeah, I only have so much time. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that or, or gain that insight at interesting points in my life. Like I, I feel kind of lucky to where I came that insight very early and can apply it, you know, for a longer duration throughout my life. But then I also feel that there's there's some individuals that might not really gain that insight until they're a little bit more seasoned or, or long, a little bit farther along life's path. And then it leads to kind of crazy decisions. People jump into, you know, midlife crises and all this kind of stuff because they want to, you know, kind of capitalize on what little time they have left. So if you can find a way to focus on that from the start, that's a huge kind of avenue to things. Um, now, you brought up a good point, which I think kind of segues us into our topic for today. So I think that's, you know, like you talked about, that's kind of segues us into our thought process and topic for today. And that is, how do we pay teachers more consistently throughout the United States? Because I think what kind of gets lost is if you ask the majority of the US population, they will say, hey, we need to put some money in education. This is you know, for the kids, for the future. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should we should pay teachers more. There's no way they should make the thirty, forty thousand dollars a year and then still have to buy school supplies and stuff like that. So, you know, my first thought on kind of I guess changing that dynamic is, of course, the easy way is push more money into the school systems. That way, they can pay teachers more. Um, but then, how do you get more money in the school systems? Well, most people are going to say, well, you have to tax people more. Nobody wants their taxes to go up. So, you know, how do we how do we balance that? I think um, the first touch point is we have to look at, you know, what's a equitable salary for teachers, right? Where where does it land? Where is it? Does it make sense to have some type of staggered system based on, you know, elementary, middle, and high school versus collegiate levels? Um, should there be some type of range there? Uh, maybe it's dependent on the curriculum. Uh, how, do, you, do you make the schools dependent if the, if the kids come out with A's? I think there's a lot to unpack there. So um, I guess the first place that I want to ask you is what are your thoughts on, for example, a range based on maybe the education that they come out of college with or post-secondary education and making that indicative of a minimum salary that they would be afforded that would be of course higher than what they're probably getting now yeah so I'll, I'll, I'll start with this is definitely something that i i have thought about in the past as well so just to share with you my wife is an educator so she works in a school actually recently she's she's both admin as well as a teacher so she, she teaches uh, high school and um Knowing, knowing that teachers don't make a lot of money, um, that's always been something that has been, for me, um, a frustration point, right? Because I, just like what you've described, these are people who are molding the minds of, of our young children and our children are going to definitely as at least I, we could only speak as Americans because that's where we live uh, we definitely um, have shown in our action that we don't we don't value um, that as much um, but to say that as a general generalization is probably a hard thing to say because there are people who are in government either local state or federal level who do care right but um, this topic is uh, addressing the larger system right and it's a system of systems so we can even start at the local level which is your your town your your home ship right who, who, wherever wherever you live um, there's funding that comes across from whatever locals local taxes that are being collected um, some portion probably is going towards a lot of services for the citizens that live in that area of which a portion goes off to education um, and again if we're going to talk about state and federal all we have to do is scale right just say times a million times 10 million whatever the problem is still the same is as human beings what do we value right so yes we could take it from the approach of how do we pay teachers more because that's the thing that we value but there's there's complexities in that right because I think the question you asked me, what's a fair, equitable salary for any teacher? That all depends on context, right? Um, does that teacher live in, you know, inner city Chicago? 
does that teacher live in rural Ken? You know, somewhere else that's, you know, somewhere in between. So it depends on your context. And I think the question is probably for me, what is the right amount for a teacher to be to feel the value and worth that they're giving for the education they're providing our children, right? Um, we can't, this is where it's very hard when it comes to scaling to say this specific amount is gonna solve for problem for all across. It's probably some amount that's gonna solve for a big amount, but you know, it's, it's very different for, for everybody. Um, and we can use you know, tools like financial, using a financial, you know, adjustment to kind of make that happen. But you, we can see that that trend in the market too. There's only, there's probably a limit to how effective that is, right? Just giving more money or whatnot. So then it, it that it kind of leads me to the question of um, what do what do the teachers need to to feel valued, right? Is it always money? Because I know my wife and I'm sure many, many teachers out there, just like the topic we talked about earlier, they would probably like to have a little bit more time. Yeah, you, you probably have seen it. I think you're, you said your wife is also uh, an educator, right? Or did um, she, She's not directly an educator, but she has taught in the past. She has taught yeah. in the past. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that I've seen as a commonality between educators is they, they don't have time for themselves. Right, they're they're asked to do so much. They spend so much time um, on the needs of our children. They have to answer to parents, to the children, to administration. So there, there's a lot. There's a lot of customers when you're a teacher, and they they always have no time for themselves. And these are the people who we're trusting to be up to date with the latest and current trends of what's going on in the world. And we complain when we say, why aren't you teaching my kids, you know, about these modern things? Well, <laughs> what time did we give them, right? So sometimes we may need to think, rethink our incentives and rewards uh, uh, as, as a way to, because, you know, your mind just automatically goes to, all right, let's fix this with money. And that's not always the case. Um, I'm sure teachers would love to have a little bit more time so they can go and learn themselves and go and retool, uh, stay, stay current. If, if anything, for some, uh, some mental, <laughs> uh, relaxation, just to get in a good headspace, right. To, to be able to teach our, our children in a, in a nice calm manner. So we need to rethink maybe the question about uh, what what are the things that we give teachers? And and I maybe ask the question, like teachers, what are the things that you would uh, look to have provided you? Um, Maybe it's not just time. Maybe it's other benefits like better health care, you know to the people who who are in that position, I think, um, and not make an assumption that it's it's going to be solved by just you know more money. Yeah, I, I think you you touched on a couple of good points, and especially with the concept of more money, because then we end up having a little bit of a sliding scale, right? So, like you, you talked about, you know, a teacher in a middle school teacher in central Chicago is going to need a different cost of living, you know, a benefit versus a teacher in rural Nebraska. You know, it's going to be difficult to pay those those teachers the same. So I think you hit the, kind of hit the nail on the head that 
I mean, there's part of me, I'm a little torn because there's part of me, I do feel that there should be a little bit of a minimum base on it to go across the board, but maybe um, some financial incentives are used in a little bit of a different way. Um, I think another one that I want to touch on is some of the education and the, and the fact that we're getting some time back for those teachers. You know, um, oftentimes parents, you know, like, like you spoke about, want teachers to be able to share and instill, you know, the new stuff, what's going on, what's going on now, things that are a little bit more applicable rather than dated things back in a textbook. Um, I think from an education standpoint, we really have an opportunity to be able to change some of those things. We still need to teach basic skills, right? Math, science, whatever. But in some areas, do we really need to go as in-depth as we used to, to, to know these things for most of the time when you come out of, let's say, high school, for example, how often are you going to use these items? Um, I mean, just one that came across the mind because I had a conversation with a friend the other day um, in regards to this was he said that he used some formula um, for math that he figured out. He's like, have you ever used uh, the quadratic formula? And I was like, no. I was like, I've never used that since, since I left high school. I said, the one thing that I've used is, uh, I'd say probably about a, two, three years ago, I used Pythagorean theorem for the first time. And I remember I did it at my desk and I was so happy, I'm like, yep, they taught me how to do this. I know how to do it, it's fantastic. I was like, yeah. I was like, I, I gotta find out, like, what situation do you actually have to use the Pythagorean theorem? <laughs> so it was a, I was trying to, I was looking in the roof, trying to figure out a, uh, an air duct and trying to figure out how long it was. The tiles weren't lining up because usually ceiling tiles are two feet by two feet. Yeah. And um, I had, the length but i didn't have my tape measure on me and i didn't want to walk all the way back to my desk to get it so i said i'm going to figure this out and so i used like a piece of cable and i took a cable and i got like one measurement and then based on the window i got like another measurement and i'm like okay well i should be able to figure out the fact that i got two sides of the angles to get the other angle and i was like perfect yes i got it and then i went back to my floor plans and double checked and i was i was pretty close i was within about three inches or so so I, I was happy with that you know but those are the things that I gotta think about I'm like as educators as a school system you know maybe if we remove some of those some of those fluff things um, and that's not to say that they're not valuable but times are changing right and so if we remove some of the things that might not be used as frequently and then input some of the the, the more I guess you could say maybe interesting things or pertinent and relevant education, I feel like that could free up some time for teachers that could, you know, improve their quality of their occupation. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, something you just said there, again, just what's happening in our world today, right? Right now we're doing a, we're doing talk during a, during a pandemic and you saw, you've seen in the news where uh teachers have been on strike you know within this past month uh having to go back to work and whatnot and um this this i want to bring up that this topic along with many other topics for me goes back to uh, a very simple um, concept which is maslow right maslow's hierarchy of needs and yeah so let's say we try to solve this problem with with more money um, you still have teachers are saying that, hey, I'm at, I'm at a high risk. 
I'm going to get a lot of exposure because of the situation. So it's not so much psychological need, but safety needs, right? Right now, I don't feel safe. And people aren't even addressing that. They're just still talking about, like, how much salary and stuff. That's more of a, you know, a feel safe going to work. Um, so, yeah, that that for me is, again, going back to the provider, right? The, the person who, who's, who's doing the job of, of educating our children and understanding what makes them feel valued, um, that they have psychological uh, needs fulfilled, they have safety fulfilled, they have a sense of belonging. And then we could talk about esteem, like pay salary, and then self-actualization, like I'm going to go beyond what I'm doing as a teacher to maybe, you know, do other things like write a paper or, you know, uh, speak at conferences. So I think that there needs to be some of that that needs to be brought in if we're looking at this as a system. We need to look at the system um, at a micro level, right? What's going on between the teacher and uh, the, the people that they serve. And then we could talk about the, the larger perspective of, you know, the system of why it isn't working the way it's working. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge believer in, you know, uh, reminding ourselves that we need to we need to look at the needs uh, of of what the problem is and uh, see where they're motivated, right? Um, so that's one one aspect. The other aspect is I've always thought about the salary problem also as um, it's not an immediate immediate return. And what I mean by that is the outcome of teachers doing a great job won't be realized until many, many years. And that teacher may not even be alive when it happens and you probably know where I'm going is you teach a child the Pythagorean theorem and sometime later in their 30s they have to go figure out how to make uh you know whatever furniture fit into and they said yeah Mrs. Johnson taught me the Pythagorean theorem but thank god for her right you're not gonna you're not gonna realize that benefit until like 20 years later right so I think that's that's that also at a, a at a lot of the problem there is because uh, as human beings, uh, we don't see that return come back to us immediately. And it's not even a return to us. It's a return to our children, right? So I feel a lot of times that when people are making decisions about how much is being funded for you know, education is because they're, they're, they're just kicking the can down the road. They're like, ah, well, we'll deal with that later. So the question is becomes how do we make that uh, more, that pain be felt closer because our, our, we, you know, as human beings, we're very linear. If it doesn't happen to us now, we're not going to deal with it. This is the same with taxes and social security. If we'll just deal with it later, and and it's a shame because every future generation has to pay for the prior generation's um, short-sightedness. So this is kind of the nature of um, of the problem of you know why why teachers aren't being. Um, compensated for what they deserve right yeah there's it's it's interesting because when you compare certain uh, i guess professions right just mm-hmm. you know from a short standpoint 
that immediacy of return is huge, right? Yeah. You look at just, of course, the medical field, you know, the doctors, dentists, they go off to a conference, they learn a new technique from some pharmaceutical company or whatever the case may be. They can print back and be able to implement new prosthetic limbs or, or have new tools to be able to do their work that could save the time, save the money, and even perform surgeries that they may have never been able to see and or do before, right? And so that, that rate of return is a matter of probably what weeks, maybe months, um, versus when we talk to educate a vaccine, hello, um, or the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, the, but with teachers, when you're teaching a six-year-old, you know, you, that rate of return might not be for 40 years, you know, and so how do we qualify that, and for that 40 years, that previous generation of, of parents or, or grandparents at that point, they could be, you know, long gone by that time. Um, so I think we really have to change the, the paradigm because I don't know if we'll be able to, we'd have to come together, I think, as a country and make a refocus into that. And while everybody agrees that it should be a focus, everybody is also looking at their bottom line, their particular household, their particular wallet size, whatever it is that kind of drives them to push forward through life. So it's challenging to get everybody on the same page to say, hey, this is a, a thing. I always find it very interesting because I feel torn that other countries can do it. You know, you see some other places and you have free college tuition or, you know, healthcare and, you know, they're putting a lot of, you know, investments into technology to teach kids technology younger. So I know it can be done. Um, I just think culturally in the United States, it's, we could do better for sure. Um, so I think when it comes to the concept of, of paying more, I'm a little bit intrigued as to the thoughts around how do we get, let me say, let me see how to phrase this. Is, is it a matter of changing people's perceptions to get everybody on board to look at it the same way? Or is it a matter of, hey, we're never gonna look at it the same way. Let's try and make the best situation going forward. Yeah. So, as you say that, um, I'm thinking um, never waste a good crisis, right? So right now we're in a crisis where um, there's been a disruption in our normal way of approaching this problem of um, educating our young ones. And I, I myself am subject to this because I have kids and I'll, I'll share with you, all of them are doing distance learning right now, right? So the schools that are capable of doing it are making it happen, right? So some schools are fully distance learning, right? Some schools are doing a mix like my children. So uh, some of their friends are going to school. Some of them are staying at home, depending on the, on the decision of the parents, which I think is great. I, I like that schools empower um, parents to make the right decision for their own family. Um, but it's disrupting the market. Um, there are now, and I'm sure all we have to do is Google it, um, there are now teachers rethinking, do I really need to go into a real physical school to be able to provide the value I, you know, I've been educated to do, right? So um, I've heard 
actually I was speaking to my wife recently and she said yeah I, I we know some you know some people out there that are beginning to create like a new cottage industry you know teachers are pulling together who again for good reason they can't go back to the physical school otherwise you know there, there might be a risk but they're pulling together and saying hey we're um, we're starting up a virtual school and if you're if you're challenged as a parent and you're struggling with how how are you going to keep your family safe um, and still have the attention that your children need uh, you may want to consider you know our solution um, and do it virtually right so there's other ramifications to it right the, the amount of time you know kids now have to be on you know <laughs> non-interactive face-to-face engagement but rather through a computer you know there's there's going to be new studies for that i'm sure but this disruption um is is making people rethink um how they've done things and that's that's something that i always talk to people about when we look at systems right um there are going to be disruptions and you could you can throw your hands up and walk away and say there's nothing we can do or you can look at it as an opportunity because usually those disruptions are the best point to kind of do a check because it forces everybody to ask the question what's going on here right do we continue doing what we're doing or do we rethink uh, the way we've thought of things uh, in the past um, i mean it, it should even go beyond it right the the starting question was how much should we pay teachers maybe we need to go back even further out than that and say um are the ways we're teaching our children the right methods right and you mentioned some other countries other countries are starting to look at is the traditional way of teachers in the front of a classroom you know and having information uh, given to them and homework and all that. There's a lot of countries rethinking that whole system, right? And I'm sure you've heard about like, is homework a real good thing, right? Does that do kids really learn? Because there's there's a there's a there's a cap to how much knowledge you can gain in a day, right? And kids, especially the young ones, it's very hard. So we need to actually take a, a, I think, a few steps back and really look at what what is our what is our purpose, right? What is the outcomes we're trying to achieve um, with our children, right? Um, and and doing teaching myself, I'm sure you do too, because um, I know you do some facilitation. We know that human beings learn through experience. It's not necessarily through just, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not a <laughs> saying don't go read books. I, I love books uh, um, and a lot of great books um, everybody should read, but we all know that um, experience is the greatest teacher. So we've always, I mean, our school system is still based on a lot of, hey, go read the text and we're going to cover these concepts. Um, it's, we it's need to read that. And, yeah, it's that text and regurgitation model that I think. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people just, hey, that's the way that I've done it. It's the way that I came up. I'm a relatively intellectual person. I'm going to teach my kids the, the exact same way. Um, but I find, you know, it, I'm seeing more and more, and you brought up the, the experiential side, is they, they teach you with that if you're starting to look into like agile principles or lean principles to just kind of get out there and do it. Get the feedback as soon as you can and then iterate on the process and move forward, right? Um, I'm also, you know, lucky enough to have a nine-month-old, and have been 
um, very aware of how she's inter interacting with the world as a whole. Um, so for me, I'm able to kind of watch her experience the entire world in a, in a whole new mindset, a whole new scale. And I'm looking at it, and of course, you know, during the pandemic, the thought had come across my mind. I said, hey, if this thing gets bad enough, I wonder if she'll actually go to a, a brick and mortar school, <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, when we, when we come out and we're extremely young, that's the way that we figure out our world. You know, we talk, you know, and, and we, we babble and we, we pick up things and we bang it against objects and see what happens and we move things together. And that's the way that we learn the fastest. And even when we're one, two, and three, it's it's the same thing. It's going out and playing in the dirt and, and understanding and, and we get a tactile, real-time feel of how things should be. Then all of a sudden we get into school age and we want to sit everybody down for hours on end talk to them and expect things to just magically sink into their brains. Um, and, and so I think there's a, there's a like, like you spoke about, there's a big discrepancy in the way that we're kind of visualizing that. Um, and the system as a whole, I think we have to, like you said, take a step back and try and reevaluate how we do that. There's some principles that I, I don't, I don't know of how you can do it. For example, just off the top of my head, like an English class, like how do you do a tactile version of what's a noun versus what's a verb? You know, that's getting more in the, in the details and the minutia, but I do think there's a capacity there. And when you're talking about reinventing how teachers interact, I think that would go a lot farther because then you can actually get a real life sense from teachers, from educators saying, hey, I have to put in this amount of work to be able to give the students that I'm teaching the correct education about X and then have a better conversation about the needs that that teacher, the qualities and skills that that teacher needs to have to be able to educate appropriately in the field that they're in. Um, and almost reverse, you know, you talk about gaming the system, almost reverse engineering the system and saying, what is the output that we want to go from in 40 years time? And then work it back. All right, well, how are we going to teach them to get it there? And then from how we're going to teach them, how are we teaching them to get it there and then go ahead and work that, that backwards in a sense. Yeah. And, uh, so again, I'm, I'm influenced with some of the, some of the things I, I read and, um, a big one for our, for me recently has been, um, focusing on outcomes. Right. And there are many books out there, um, about, um, about that as well. Um, but yeah, outcomes is very important. And until we we think about what is the outcome we're trying to get for the things that we do and pay for and everything, um, it's hard. And we see it at work, right? So you brought up, you know, yeah, agile and everything. This is a key thing that we focus on with our teams. Is uh, and again, this, so we're going into a little bit of a, a geek mode here. But for your listeners that are uh, that tend to be working in an environment where they leverage, you know, a framework like Agile, uh, some of the frameworks within Agile. Uh, the big concept is to try to satisfy the needs of the customer, right? The outcomes. Um, and there's nuances to that. Sure, you can deliver something very quickly uh, to that person. Uh, um, or an outcome. Right. If the outcome is that they're happy, 
that's different than they got something in their hands and they're able to use it. So um, we, we tend, as I don't know, as I guess as human beings, we tend to mix the two together a lot and we, we, <laughs> we blur the lines. And that's, again, that's because of our nature, right, as human beings, um, but it's also because of, of an effect of the system. Whenever, whenever something is taken into a system, it makes things more complex, and it it it, it covers up the purpose many times. It moves us further distance away from our end goal, and that's why a lot of times people ask me as a coach and trainer and and um, somebody who helps organizations, um, what is you know what can we do to be more agile. And uh, most people are thinking, oh, I, I'm going to recommend, you know, some framework or some specific tool. And usually my answer is if we can bring in more systems thinkers, um, that will help the situation a lot. Right. Um, and it's going to take time. Um Because we tend to be very narrowly focused because we're in a system and we we have, you know, things that our senior management and, and our own um, superiors want us to do um, and that forces a certain behavior right so if we had more people who are working together that have a system thinking approach to solving problems like education we would have more people asking the question what is the outcome we're trying to gain here at all levels, right? The people who are actually on, on the ground teaching the kids to the administrators who are trying to create a system uh, that will protect, you know, the students and the teachers in a, in a safe way to the parents, to the bigger, you know, government level that are trying to ensure this happens. You would have more people asking the question, um, what's, our, what's the outcome we're trying to gain here? And what's happening in the system that that's not working that's causing us to do something very different that's that's not meeting that outcome i think that 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 applies for any industry any context if we had more people that um thought more in a systems context um yeah a systems thinker is is worth their weight in gold <laughs> yeah, you, you brought up a good point that because it kind of it kind of flashed back um just some things that we've been hearing lately, of course, you know, due to the to the pandemic and everything. And I, I heard a lot of uh, people say, "Well, we've got to get the kids back in school, so that way the parents can get back to work." And while I understand that methodology, um, it kind of struck me as a little odd because I thought to myself, "Why are we so focused on?" I mean, I, I get it parents need to get back to work and do things and there's some things that are, are very difficult to handle electronically or, or over a zoom call just not all just not all jobs and functions can be operated like that but if our goal for getting schools open is to get parents back to work i feel like that's it's just intrinsically kind of flawed there in that model it's going it's sideways like, right it's going sideways you know it's yeah. like we are all right we just need to find a way to get schools open so that way kids can get out so that way parents can go back to work and you know economy can get back whatever and i'm like isn't the purpose of the school to be able to educate the students like let's right. focus on one 
system at, at, at a time? Like, is yeah. this the best way to educate the students? Is it a safe environment? Does it make sense at the right time? And then take care of that. From the parent perspective, I mean, there's a role, there's occupation there. If your role doesn't do it, fine. But I, I, for me, it's, it's difficult to link those two um, because I think it, the values there is a little bit odd. I think that's just my personal view there. I think, you know, some people could be on the other side, but um, it's like it should be focused on school and whether that's a safe environment. Now, when it comes to the actual teachers of the material, you know, to kind of pivot, I was thinking about how do we, of course, like we talked about the finances, it's here or there, trying to get that balanced. So finding out what the teachers want, but I think in the ramp up to becoming a teacher, I think one of the things we could also focus on is just some perks that could help benefit teachers in the long run once they are there, right? So the first one that comes to mind is, I kind of feel like there's a couple of occupations such as teachers, you know, potentially paramedics and stuff in which maybe we can alleviate some of the financial stress at home and instead of trying to pay them more money out of taxpayer dollars, say, hey, let's reduce, you know, if you're getting a master's in education or, or going into the teaching field, we can reduce any student loan debt by 50% over the next 10 years as long as you teach for seven years or something like that, right? So although if you're a teacher making $40,000 a year, you might not jump up to 60 or 70, but because you're going to be a teacher, you're gonna come out debt-free a little bit faster in regards to that. You know, make a, making their education trip on the way to becoming a teacher a little less painful once they do. So it's funny that you brought this one up. I, I had, so I'm a, a, a big fan of podcasts myself. So there's a podcast out there uh, called Against the Rules by Michael Lewis. I don't know if you've uh, heard that one. Um, and it covers that topic exactly that you just brought up. Um, I believe it was that podcast. I, I listened to a lot of them. That's one of uh, the ones I really like. And it's about teachers were supposed to get that exact benefit. They were supposed to um, have their their education debt basically taken care of if they were to sign up for being a teacher in a rural area that needed that. But then uh, what happened in the in the in the episode that I was listening to. Um, these student loans that these teachers acquired got bought up by loan processor, I mean, uh, yeah, loan processors or whoever buys up these loans and then uh, they game the system. It made it very hard for those people to actually uh, say, oh, I, I am now working in a rural area per the program and being able to you know, wipe out my debt because I don't make a lot. I've got my own family, but I'm, I'm doing the things that I promised I would do. And a lot of those people were taken advantage of um, because of the situation where the goal of the, the company who bought out the loan uh, was to collect on debt, right? So it was a very eye-opening episode, and uh, yeah. So if you get a chance, definitely listen to that episode. But yeah, that that's how once you put systems on top of other systems, it makes it even more difficult, 
right? And um, and then things really go sideways, and and that that's that's really sad because we have so many great people who've dedicated their lives, like you said, to educating um, our kids, and um, and that's the last thing you want to have to have happen to them, but unfortunately it does. And do you blame the company that's doing it? Yeah, I'm sure there's some blame there. But if you think about any company who's in business to do business, their job is to make money. Their job is to, you know, make the share price be as high as it can so that, you know, the people who buy the stocks, you know, um, are getting a, a return, right? So so this, this is where systems thinking really starts to look at the complexity of systems of systems, right? Um, so it's it's never uh, it never so this is where I'm I'm always hesitant to say there's a if we just did this it would fix it it's it's never that simple I mean even to the previous example where you gave you know of you know local and state government saying hey we need to get kids back in school so the parents can you know go back to work and our economy can start working again well there's another system that we didn't even consider. Um, that's causing that behavior and that system is um i would say and so i'm not criticizing americans but in our american way of life um if you think about the 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 nuclear family um it's just the parents and the kid Uh, when you say family in a lot of other countries it it doesn't stop there it goes on to grandparents cousins aunts and uncles all living under the same roof right so think about that in this pandemic and i'm 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 wondering so i'm gonna probably google this later is what's the effect of those countries where they had um backups right so the stress or the need to have kids go back into a brick and mortar was it is it is it as great or because you know, and aunts and uncles are around. You know, uh, they can they can still have the kids go to school virtually or whatever, and the parents can go back out, and there's not, and they can make a better choice, right? And again, that's the system of the family uh, for that country or for that particular culture um, that has given it a different context. But yeah, very typical here in the U.S. Everybody has their own house, you know. Parents, grandparents have their own house or maybe they're in a home somewhere, right? So it's the system that we created that we, we found acceptable for us. And that's the one we, we feel comfortable living in. But is it the right one for this problem? I don't know. You know so it's, it's never that simple. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's like stacking these, I guess, kind of systems on top of each other. Yeah. Um, and for me, trying to wrap my head around it, it's been a... It's been a task because I've been trying to see a couple of things, right? So one is, can we pull an individual system out, see if we can solve it and plug it back in? Or is it more of a systemic problem that you have to address? Is it something that can be solved with a couple of strokes of a pen in the form of new legislature and laws? Is it something that you have to that requires drastic measures like you know teachers going on strike in different states and stuff like that does that cause the appropriate changes that are needed um and i found that it's been extremely fractured in the fact that there's been some places where a stroke of a pen in the legislature has worked and then there's been times in which a strike has worked so uh, i think 
I think we can probably agree that a, like an overarching thing throughout the entire United States is going to be challenging to try and implement in one fail swoop. So it's going to be a more catered approach um, to individual markets and I think individual teachers about how they're teaching and then what really drives them you know, to make the impact that's going to be necessary to get a yeah. balanced and fair, equitable system. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree with with your, with your thought there. Um, catered, again, if I were to relate this to, you know, um, the, the, the work I do, um, we always tell people that um, change is hard, right? And again, we're talking about systems change, especially systems change is hard. So while things are good, the only way you can make a system change is very, very small incremental changes. Why? Because again, we're talking about a system of people. Whenever you have people, you introduce the word change or you introduce change. The first thing that happens is, and I think we've all read who moved my cheese, right? Uh, resistance, right? So you have to, you have to be aware of that um, if you really have something that's a good idea probably it is got good, good, good intent you have to you have to introduce that very very slowly and carefully and be very thoughtful about it and the other way like you said you know stroke of a pen you know uh, legislature you know changes in law uh, you look for these uh what we were talking about earlier right these disruptions um a term we use in our industry is uh, punctuated equilibriums right the the normal uh, status quo has been has been broken and now everybody is on board about this isn't going to work for us like this pandemic um, we can't we can't just keep sending our kids to school or our, we can't send our teachers this is where people are more willing to have a harder conversation because because of uh, the disruption so change sometimes comes very quickly because of that too so um again it's it's so it's 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 interesting how closely that mirrors you know our social situation in, in our in our communities along with you know what we deal with in work but i think the same the same guide guiding principles apply right you know when things are good small incremental changes make sure people that are affected by the change are asked you know how do you feel about this provide your thoughts how and again we i feel very strongly about ask the people who are doing it <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, yeah. how I they feel get their input don't just come in and say this is how it's going to happen right yeah, that will never huge change point that's a huge point because I, I feel like everybody says hey let's just pay teachers more but how many times do we effectively ask a teacher you know everybody's always looking at okay once you say once you bring about that topic it's 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 an immediate you know, knee-jerk reaction to talk about taking an individual teacher, a teacher X, um, and finding a way to add a zero to their salary. And it's so much more complex than that, you know, and I think we need to get the teachers involved because different teachers will say different things, right? Some teachers will say, yes, I'm, I have a good amount of students, uh, everything in my classroom is set up, but they just, I, I, I just don't feel like I'm valued enough financially fine, that's a monetary piece. There's other teachers that'll say, I feel like I'm, I'm compensated fairly. However, I have to spend part of that salary to go out and buy school supplies for my students. Like that's, a, that's an entirely different conversation. There's you know, some that says, you know, I have all the, the tools necessary, but I'm working with textbooks that are 300 years old that, 
that I can't teach my students with that are falling apart or whatever the case may be, or maybe the textbooks are just massively outdated and I'm teaching students outdated information that's not relevant. And so we need to kind of look at that. So bringing a, you know, a, a committee or a coalition of, of students, and I know these things are out there, right? Like National Teachers Association, and you know, you have a Department of Education person, um, but having a better discourse in regards to what the teachers actually need. And I think it could fall under a couple of buckets. So one is, of course, financial, um, one is the tools and skills you know, necessary, and then, and then two, and then kind of narrow those down into four or five different buckets that I think can be appropriate to discuss throughout the country. Right, right. But the conversation, as you mentioned, has to happen uh, until we, we start having these hard discussions, you know, things are just going to go back to the way they are. And that that's, uh, that's uh, something that I think none of us want, right? We want, we want better situations for the people who are providing the education for our, for our children. So I think, um, again, we, we need to take a few steps back and say, you know, what is our outcome here that we want, right? Um, is it a brick and mortar anymore? That's the right thing to do. Is it just one person? Um, about one subject you know is it a certain population is it uh, so there, there's a lot of questions that we need to start asking ourselves um, and they are going to be hard um, so I you know I always feel very grateful to previous generations who had enough forethought or enough self-constraint to think about the future to do the hard things that lay the foundations and groundwork so that we can benefit like just think about like something as simple as you know um social security again started with very good intentions right now very very you know just bring up that topic and you're gonna get you're gonna get it from all sides but at some you know some point back in the day somebody thought about it and said you know what in order for us to build a society where our older generations don't have to worry and can feel safe about, you know, living comfortably, we need to establish some something to actually make them not have to worry, right? Because not every family has children that can take care of the next. So uh, I'm not. I'm definitely not saying social security is was was good or bad. I'm just saying somebody had enough forethought to think about what is the system what is the outcome we're trying to get at um so for any system that gets created or gets uh, implemented i think there's also a lot of interest uh, there's a lot of reflection that needs to happen all throughout because uh systems like policies uh like like the example you gave like textbooks get very old and get very irrelevant very quickly um, and if anything we've seen within the last hundred years, every 10 years, the, 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 the rate of technology, uh, you know, it's, it's exponential, right? Who would have known now we can have conversations with people around the world, you know, with just some device, you know, that fits in our pocket, right? So it's, it's incredible. The, the tech. So we need to relook at systems more frequently too and ask ourselves a question. It's a very hard question to ask because most our human tendency is to say, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So that's why I respect the, the, the four thinkers of, you know what, let's, let's make sure we do something that can help future generations. Those are, those are, um, those are people that we should all, all, all try to model and then improve it by saying, 
can we make it better? Should we rethink this? Yeah, it's. I think that's a that's a really big component that I think we need to address more frequently, for sure, because of the fact that, like you talked about, technology is becoming exponential here. I mean, you got to think in the last 20, 30 years, you have had you know internet, cell phones, to be able to communicate at a ridiculous pace, and it's only going to continue as things get more connected with technology. So the concept of putting 22 kids in a room, having them learn from one teacher for 18 years, I'm not sure if that's the best method to go about things anymore. You know, uh, especially when you have um, new occupations and new, new uh, new working and people are, are doing side hustles and multiple jobs. Like these are the type of, I don't know necessarily values, but the type of thoughts that is going to make a community and a society better. So if we bring in people from different things, you know, if somebody, let's just say like a social, uh, social media influencer or a social media manager, that's not something that you could ever teach out of a textbook prior to probably five, 10 years ago. You know, these are these are new industries, these are new things that are happening. So the ones that are going to be able to capitalize on it are the children that are in school now. So we have to teach them the schools, those skills. So that way, when they come out of school, they're ready to jump in. Because if you don't, they're going to be at 18 with an education that's maybe 10 years old at that point in time, 10, 15 years old of where they should be. And then they have to spend, you know, the years in between 18 and 26, you know, bursting their proverbial bubble as to what they're supposed to do with life, um, trying to figure those things out. I know that was one of my personal things was coming up, hey, this is what you're kind of supposed to do. You go to college, get a job, you know, boom, 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 check the boxes. And then I hit about 22 and it it just doesn't work that way. And then you spend five, seven years floundering trying to figure it out. Um, And then you find out that some people have a primary job and a side hustle and, you know, a hobby and and they do different things and, you know, creating multiple streams of income. And there's this whole financial education piece that comes with it. And and so it becomes this much compounded problem. But in order to do that, we have to kind of start a little bit earlier and focus on the future instead of now. So... Great, I think we got to a really good spot. Um, So to kind of just kind of recap and and bring everything together, I'm gonna hit all kind of the bullet points and then make sure that we didn't forget anything. So um, if we're talking about increasing the pay and or benefits for teachers across the United States, I think we can, it's fairly safe to say that having a blanket strategy might be challenging. It might need to be a little bit more catered, but the heavy points that we definitely want to touch on is we have to find out what teachers want and or need, find out their incentives and rewards, whether that be financial, whether that be time related, maybe that's the tools and and skills and stuff that they have. Um, Number two is remove any unneeded topics and review the curriculum of not only what they're teaching, but also how they're teaching as well. Um, So that way that can free up some, some time and space to be able to teach them appropriately. Number three was to reevaluate how teachers are teaching and kind of do that in a reverse fashion. So to look forward in the next 40 years and say, what do we want that economy, society, community to look like? And then reverse teach it back through the teachers since they, since they are educating the minds of the young people. And then um, number four 
is look at other incentive ways such as student loans and, and whatnot and find a way that we can better set up the teachers for success in their personal lives, which will give them more value with their occupation, which will in turn um, make them feel more valued as a community member in you know, molding the minds of our, our young children. Um, yeah, did I forget anything there? No, I think you, you hit all the key points, Mike. That's a great job. I, I had so much fun talking about this topic today. So I think, like you said, we, we talked about hitting all the key points, and um, I think this one was really instrumental for, for me personally. I think um, I had no idea that your your spouse is a teacher, so this is this is great to kind of kind of like impact that and kind of bring that that personal perspective from the family unit. Um, but the the. The, the takeaways that we got here, I think, were were really exquisite. So we'll definitely kind of put that in and get that flowing on our website. But Adam, I got to say a huge thank you, a huge shout out for all your insights and stuff that you brought, especially um, from the systems and, and the gaming side, which was which is so huge to kind of make the connections about how things were were uh, kind of intertwined and, and intermingled. So thank you for sharing your expertise and, and everything that that you brought to the table today. Thank you, Mike. And I likewise, I want to thank you. It's been an honor being on your uh, podcast. Uh, again, I, like I said before, you're, you're an inspiration to me, uh, being able to, to help uh, get our ideas out there and uh, share with the community. And honestly, um, this, this time has just flown by. I felt like, I feel like, again, we're, we're kindred spirits. I feel like we, we've just met, but I feel like we've known each other for so long. Um, I definitely hope that we, we can have um, future conversations as well, whether on the podcast or not, it doesn't matter. But uh, you are, you're definitely a, a, a source of inspiration. So thank you for inviting me here. And I appreciate um, you helping me kind of get my ideas out there. So hopefully, hopefully our discussion will help somebody you know, rethink some of the things that can help our uh, education system. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, thank you. I, I'm just trying to kind of put out put out good stuff and like pull the help pull the ideas out of out of people's heads that I know are really good and really positive and that can do a lot of help so um, we'll definitely get you back on another show and you know maybe get you on with a group of people talking about a, you know maybe some different ways how to address those uh, those different um, idiosyncrasies among the uh, the gaming uh, of the different systems and how they connect so um, with that Everybody, to all of our listeners, thank you for listening out there. You can also continue the conversation um, on the YouTube channel, so that will go up there, and you can always reach out to us at ideaprov.gmail.com or ideaprov.live is the website. Um, and then make sure to check in after the break, and we'll get into um, our Ideaprov Insight, where we bring about new innovations and new inventions that might be coming out into the world. So thank you for that, and I'll see you after the break. All right, so for this Idea Profit Insight, I wanted to share with you a scientific breakthrough and kind of invention. Um, this gentleman by the name of Iwi Nishimura, he's a stem cell biologist at the Tokyo Medical Center, um, researched and found this protein. It's called Collagen 17. And what it does is it's the protein that's responsible for vertically changing the way that your skin replicates. So it repl replicates um, coming from the inside out, more from the bone towards the top of the skin versus horizontally. Um, because as we age, we tend to lose that 
that dexterity and that flexibility within our skin cells. And so by identifying this protein, we can potentially look at ways to um, make more of it and then uh, be able to take care of our skin a little bit better as we age. Um, so from thinking about it from an idea prop perspective, I thought this could be very impactful in a lot of different areas. So one is for, you know, great for the elderly, so that way they can heal a little bit faster, burn victims. Um, it could be used in hospital applications for like skin grafts, dermatological conditions where maybe skin is having difficulty trying to grow and could even be used, you know, to help um, you know, people coming back from skin cancer or something like that. So I thought it was something that would be really kind of cool to share and see if um, anybody has any thoughts on it and see if we can kind of push it forward and get some more exposure and uh, see what we can make out of it. All right, till next time.